Ag State of Mind, episode 30. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Greetings and welcome back to this episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast. I'm a member of the Global Ag Network. I'm your host, Jason Meadows. And if this is your first time tuning in, welcome. We are very appreciative to have new listeners. And uh, I'll issue a challenge to each one of you at uh, the end of this introduction. So uh, before we get started with the interview today, um, the dairy industry is an industry that I've learned so much about in the past couple of months. Um, I've had the privilege of getting to know so many dairy farmers through social media and talking over the phone and interviewing so many of them on this podcast they are the without a doubt some of the most genuine nicest hardest working salt of the earth people that i that i know and today's guest is no different today we have tara from the new mexico milkmaid um tara is a fifth generation new mexico dairy farmer who also works as an environmental scientist so it's really cool to kind of see her two worlds mesh there she also has a wonderful instagram page and in my opinion she has the prettiest best laid out pictures um, on all of Instagram. So uh, if you're after you're done here, please go check out her Instagram page. Um, we talk about her operations and the stress that's been affecting the dairy industry over the past couple of years. Um, and then just with COVID-19, the things that are happening with it just kind of being salt in that wound. So uh, we uh, we had a really good conversation, Tara and I, and I, I will go ahead and address this. I When I introduced her, um, talking to her, it, after this introduction, I pronounced her name Tara. She was gracious enough to pronounce her name <laughs> right for me. Um, so uh, I, I apologize to Tara for that. She uh, she was very, very understanding in that uh, I didn't pronounce her name right the first one. So uh, um, before we get started today, I would like to issue each of you a challenge. This week, after you listen to this episode, go out and tell a friend about the Ag State of Mind podcast. I found that word of mouth is the best way for new people to find this podcast. So, you know, when you're done listening to this, screenshot it, send it to somebody, share it on your social media, share it on your Instagram story, wherever you may have the most connections, because we want to get this word out there because we feel like we are on a really important mission here at Ag State of Mind. Um, my family and I work really we work hard on this and we really want to we really want to get this out to as many people because we really are passionate about the work that we are doing we're really passionate about getting the message about mental health and its importance in agriculture so uh so please tell tell some folks about this podcast we uh, we really appreciate it so all right after that we uh will go ahead and get into my interview with tara from the new mexico milkmaid all right, Tara, thanks for coming on today. How are you? I'm good. How about you? I'm doing wonderful. It's uh, We were talking before we recorded. It's finally getting to be springtime, and we're uh, getting green grass. We've got a, my place. We've got a lot of calves on the ground, and it's just been a – it's kind of, you know, a little bit of hope in these kind of dire times. <laughs> Absolutely. Today was one of the nicest days, maybe the nicest day we've had this spring. It was gorgeous, and as tough of a day as it was, 
it at least it was just yeah like you said a little bit of hope a little bit of fresh air always does everyone good yeah absolutely so the first time and I don't know if I've even told you this. The first time I heard you, I was actually on vacation with my wife. We were at the beach and uh, I was on, we were running and I had, you know, my earbuds on and uh, you were on Rob Sharkey's show on Shark Farmer. And it was just, I was so intrigued by your story and all the things that you're doing and the difference, you know, kind of, you bring such a different perspective to things. And I just, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself and kind of telling you a little bit of your your story yeah absolutely well thank you for that i really appreciate it uh rob and i had a lot of fun on that podcast but so i'm tara and i'm known online as the new mexico milkmaid and um my role on the dairy i think is a little bit you know unique um in that i don't really work with the cows on our dairy i actually deal specifically with the nutrient management so i deal with like the lagoon management the application of the lagoon water the effluent out onto the fields um tracking you know the soils and uh that are out in our fields how they're handling the nutrients how much nitrogen they have available and also monitoring like groundwater making sure that we're not over applying the nutrients and, um, and then clean water too. So we always joke in our office, we have dirty water and clean water. So the dirty water is the lagoon, although it's full of great nutrients. Right. And then the clean water is the front of the barn, kind of like how much water we're actually using in our barn, keeping track of that, figuring out ways to like, you know, conserve more water. And so that's kind of what I do. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I decided to start sharing online as the New Mexico milkmaid. Uh, obviously, hence the name, I'm a dairy farmer in eastern New Mexico. I grew up on a dairy farm. I'm a fifth generation dairy farmer. And I dairy farm with my husband, his parents, and several of his brothers and their families as well. And so I just kind of share about our life online um, and share kind of more of the sustainability conservation side of dairy farming. Yeah, that's a it's a great place because I think so many people are just um i guess naive might be the best word i don't know um not not cognizant of you know that kind of environmental side of it and it's refreshing to know that and how many how many head do you milk uh so the dairy i live on this barn actually milks about 2000 okay so a very significant size dairy um to yeah, know in new mexico is that is like a standard size dairy actually okay. in mexico which also usually surprises people our average herd size is actually 2200 and no so kidding. Uh, yeah it's just a very different dairy atmosphere in new mexico than i think it is in a lot of the other places yeah it really is yeah it surprises people <laughs> yeah it really does because I think of New Mexico, I think of, I think of cattle ranching, you know, beef cattle, uh, you know, wide open, uh, you know, dairy is not the first thing to come to my mind. No, absolutely not. And dairy is um, our largest like uh, gross receipts tax in the state for agriculture, followed by, you know, cow calf operations. And so, yeah, I mean, a lot of people think of ranching, but they don't always think of dairy. But um, we actually have a really large cheese plant in where I'm at. And that's where we send our milk. Um, so we actually make a lot of cheese. Very cool. So what I, what I was kind of saying is, I think a lot of people 
see a 2200 head dairy or 2000 head dairy like you guys have and it kind of makes it a lot of people think of it as like this faceless corporation but you guys are you are a family farm just as much as anyone else you just happen to be bigger and to know that you have you know like you said you are fifth generation and to know that you have these those kind of values um, at the forefront of your operation, I think is a really refreshing to people and to know that, especially to consumers, that you are very aware and very it's very important to your operation. Absolutely. I think there is lots of misconceptions about larger farms. And that is another aspect of my blog and my online sharing is, you know, I, we're just as much a family farm as any other farm. I mean, I live 200 steps from my milking barn. I'm, I grew up 50 steps from my parents' milking barn, like, and they were a larger dairy too. Like, it, we're still a family farm. We're all out here. My husband's on the dairy every day with his dad and his brothers, and then I have my role on the dairy. I mean, we're all out there working in it every day, and so it for us, it, it doesn't change anything. Cow care is the number one priority on a dairy farm, no matter what the size is, and so it is really refreshing to have these conversations with people and have them see that it, it it's not always how it is portrayed on the internet. You know, don't believe everything you read on the internet, um, and you know, really get to know your farmer. I think that's just such an important part of every part of agriculture. Uh, there's always so much more to it than like what's on the surface. So your role as an environmental scientist, how has that been able to mesh with, you know, your operation as a dairy farm, as, you know, kind of your background? And how was that, you know, were, were there things that you were from your environmental scientist education that you were able to kind of shift your thinking as a dairy farmer, or did they kind of go hand in hand? Maybe a little bit of a combination of both. Um, I went to school and studied, you know, environmental science and came back. Um, I did some research for a while for a university on water use on dairies. And that was kind of how I got back into dairy actually after I left for school and like had come back. And then I started working for the company I'm working for now. And I think that, you know, having the background in agriculture really helps me connect with my clients. I you know, I have really strong client relationships. I can understand where they're coming from. Most dairy farmers don't become dairy farmers to deal with a lagoon. <laughs> they become mm -hmm. dairy farmers because they love their cows, right? And so it's not always like their favorite thing to like work on. And so, you know, trying to be sensitive to that, that they have a million other things going on and a ton of other jobs that may take priority and that I see mine as just trying to help them. I'm just trying to assist them. If I can take, you know, one job off their plate and be like, I've got this handled. Like, you don't have to worry about this. I'll check in with you. Like that makes me feel really great that I can help them in that kind of way. And, and then I think when I'm interacting, you know, with state agencies, it, it does help me to be able to say, Hey, like, you know, these are the faces to the dairy farm of the, these dairy farms. I think a lot of times, even state regulators, they're at their state capital, wherever that is, and they're even disconnected from the agriculture mm -hmm. in their state. And so it's important for them to understand, like, these are real people out on these farms that are out there every day, and you should go out and see that and see how much they care about their land and their water um, and their cattle. And I think just trying to kind of bridge that gap between those regulators and the producers and then at the exact same time, like on the opposite hand, going back to the producer and explaining 
why certain regulations are implemented and why we have to do things certain ways and, and kind of explaining the science behind the thinking on the regulators part. And so it is definitely like a give and take and a back and forth and, and using both of those backgrounds um, cohesively to like help be uh, mutual beneficial to both the, my client, the producer, and to the state regulatory agencies. Yeah, um, you said something, bridging the gap, and that's a huge part in a lot of different, you know, aspects of agriculture is bringing, you know, kind. Uh, you're doing it with, the, you know, the environmentalism to the farm, you know, as well as consumers to the farm. And that is so valuable to both sides of that equation to know that there's somebody like yourself in the middle who is able to speak to it from both sides. And I find that refreshing in my own life or in my own, um, you know, kind of work in trying to bridge the gap between agriculture and the medical field. And it's, it's really refreshing and really cool when you get to go to school and learn something, but be able to kind of apply that back home and apply that to the world that you're so familiar with. Absolutely. And I think, you know, my goal, like when I got out of school was to kind of bridge that gap between the regulators and the producers. I never saw myself bridging the gap between dairy farmers and consumers on the environmental side of things. But I think it was a natural fit because like you said, I mean, there's similarities there for sure of, you know, explaining to consumers like how we work with regulators and how we're protecting our water and, um, you know, improving our soil health. And so kind of using the, some of the same things that I've learned to then connect with consumers. And, you know, consumers, I don't, I, I think not just consumers, I mean, lots of people don't realize um, whether you're in ag or not, like how much regulation goes on different parts of the ag industry. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of, I think it's been eye-opening for a lot of people to see exactly the regulations that dairies have to follow in order to be in compliance. Yeah, and different parts of the country are so different too. For I mean, for me, I live in the middle of Missouri, southern Missouri, and the thing that I think uh, I take for granted so much here that so many people, especially out west, whether it be in ranching or dairy or whatever it may be, uh, you know, row cropping is is water. And the availability of water to me is something I take so much for granted because we get 44 inches on an, you know, on an average year of rain and we just, we don't, we don't fight over water here. There's no such thing as water rights in Missouri, but that is not the case in, uh, in New Mexico, I'm sure where you guys get you know, a, a fraction of that amount of rain every year. And plus you guys are, um, are you drawing from groundwater too? Yes, we draw from groundwater and, um, it can vary from anywhere from about a, in Eastern New Mexico it can be from about a hundred feet to about 400 feet to groundwater. And then in some of the places where there's you know, some surface water or river, it can be a little bit closer, but I mean, yeah, we're pulling water from deep down in the earth and, and definitely water rights. I mean, actually, the dairying side of things is only a portion of what my company does. The majority of the company I work for does water rights and like water management kind of things outside of agriculture even. And um, I mean, it's that's just huge here. We, as you mentioned, have like a fraction of the amount of water you have. Waters are absolutely limiting resource out here in the Southwest. And, but it is so different in different places. I think if I was going to pack up and move to the Midwest and do the same job I'm doing now, I would be starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. Like I have, we, well, you may never think about water. I never think about 
muddy fields. I mean, maybe occasionally <laughs> yeah. at the end right. of the summer, we can get some pretty heavy rains and it can cause some issues. But I mean, you guys would probably laugh at us. Like yeah. it's nothing compared to what you guys do. Tile drains. That's like not even a thing. I don't, I've never even like seen one except for in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it would just, it would be like, starting from scratch basically for me, because it, there's just different resource concerns and different priorities uh, across the country. Yeah. I didn't even, this isn't even something I really expected to talk about with you, but I'm glad I did because um, I know from a fact for me to know that, you know, to hear you talk about the mud, like you do, like it's not something you deal with where it's something we, you know, curse and cuss all winter and spring long here. Um, So to know that, but then again, we don't worry about water. So to know that everybody kind of has their different set of problems and being able to be open about that, whether it be online or in person or um, wherever it may be, whatever the form may be, is really comforting, I feel like. I mean, I know it, I mean, I know it is to me. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that it, you know, having that common like conversations of different challenges you face, everyone's facing challenges is like, what's the quote? Like everyone's fighting a battle, you know, nothing about, you know, mm-hmm. like kind of the same thing. Like we're all have our issues that we're running into on our farms. Um, they're just different across the country. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I think, I think the first time I really realized that is um, I was at the National Cattlemen's meeting in San Diego in I think five or six years ago, and sitting in a room with a gentleman from probably your around your neck of the woods where he was in very southern Colorado, and um, just having that that discussion over water, it was just it was so eye opening to me because for the most part of my life, I have just kind of been sheltered here in the Midwest and, you know, in the, in the Southern or Northern Ozarks and not understood what so many other people were facing until I got out and went to some of these organizational meetings. And then I got online and started seeing some of the things the folks were talking about online. And it's really fascinating to me, all the different problems that um, not not necessarily problems, but issues and um, different factors that go into each one uh, one person's operation versus another. It's just it's super interesting and super intriguing to me. Yeah, and I think that's what's so great about being online. I think is seeing different things. Like I think I firmly believe that agriculture has to like stand united on a lot of different topics, just because we're such a small part of the population that even if we're in different parts of ag. And so by being online, we can, like, I don't really know anything about cow-calf operations. Like, mm-hmm. no, I don't know anything about growing berries, like, on and on, you know, growing tree, nut trees and all those different things. Like, that's just not the type of, that's not the ag that we do here. So I don't know that much about it. And so I feel like by being online, it does connect us so much better. And it, I hope, makes us a more united front, like, moving forward by being able to kind of share and have those interactions. So why did you start online? Why did you start becoming so involved and so, um, you know, so, I don't think outspoken is the right word, but so, you know, so open and so just kind of free with the information that you are putting through on your blog and then on your social media. So I think for me, it kind of started whenever I had my first daughter and I got online and was on like tons of different like mom Facebook pages. And if you're a part of like mom Facebook pages, like, you know what I'm talking about. Like it gets crazy on those of like what moms are feeding kids and what is okay and what's not okay. And like, it's just 
can be overwhelming. But so many of the posts about dairy ended up being very negative and heavily, like the comment section could be heavily like, no, you should, you know, not do dairy, you should ditch dairy, whatever, for like very, with lots of false information. And so for a long time, I just felt like I was kind of like constantly defending dairy in the comment section of like Facebook group. And I was like, I just need a, a place where I can like say this and say what I want and be able to write more out. So I really started on my blog and um, originally, and then about a little over two years ago, I finally got like on the social media bandwagon. I feel like I was really late to the party. Mm -hmm. considering So was I. Meal. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what was I doing before that? Um, but I finally started sharing on Instagram and it was like my goal to share like pretty much every day for a year. And I am not a type of person that like plans my post. I'm very in the moment. It's what's happening that day for the most part. And so um, I think doing that made me be like super open, super authentic and just like honest with people because it wasn't something necessarily that was really thought out or like, planned at all it was just kind of like hey this is a topic that I saw today going around like I want to address it and the great thing about social media I think compared to a blog is it can be so much faster and so mm -hmm. just so instantaneous versus the blog to me it just takes a lot more time it's a lot more like thought out process and so I love the social media like the instantaneous aspect of it and I, I kind of you know you never know when you start something like where it'll go but uh, it's I've really enjoyed sharing online. I've met some incredible people um, and just it's taken me places I never would have expected to have gone. Yeah, I a hundred, I agree. And I, I, I used to hate it just because, because probably because I wasn't using it right. And, you know, I would get into, you know, you'd see stuff and it'd be so much negativity. But the good thing about social media is you can control what you see and you can control what you put out there. And um, I think once I kind of, saw it more as a tool than um, than like a uh, luxury or a, a vice, I guess. Um, I, I started to see so much more value in it. And now the people that I've met, the friends that I've made through social media, it's just been a it's been a it's been a blessing to me because it's I, I would not have made those friends otherwise and not have made those connections if it wouldn't have been for social media. And I talk about this often and I just I think it's such a wonderful tool and such a wonderful place to um, meet new people. Absolutely. I don't know if I've ever thought about it the way you just put it, but it, it is absolutely how I feel. So thank you for like putting that into words that like before I realized what social media could be, it was very much, you know, just entertainment or whatever connection with people I already knew. And when I realized it could be a tool it just, it changed everything like for me. Um, and, and the people, like when I first started, I didn't understand why you would want to follow someone you didn't know. I didn't get it at all. Yeah, and no, now, I totally agree. Yeah. So invested in people's lives. Like people Isn't that, that funny? I'm like cheering for them, you know? And so it's just, I, I absolutely like love using it. And it's very much a tool for me. That's how I see it. It connects me. I mean, last night my husband and I were talking about dairy industry and I said well this dairy farmer in Pennsylvania said this this one in Florida said this like some friends that I have I never would have in literally less than 24 hours have talked to dairy farmers in you know five different states about what was going on if it wasn't for social media and that's it that's such a valuable tool and 
it just gives you information instantaneously. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I I always like to ask people this, and because I I want to know, um, what about the negative people? Do you get people? A lot of people, you know activists from the other side trying to bring you down and how how have you reacted to that and how has that kind of shaped maybe what you've done going forward yeah so i feel like it kind of comes in waves or like attacks i'm using air quotes because i feel like that's kind of what we call them although i I don't know i feel like that's a little bit aggressive but right um, they're words but you know it it is does feel like an attack you know and so Uh You know, every once in a while you'll wake up and have like, you know, more comments than you usually do. And you're like, oh, pretty good sign that like someone jumped on and left like terrible comments on like five of my posts, you know? So you'll have those regularly, but then when when you come under attack, it is really stressful and wearing on you. And I don't think people realize it. I never would have realized it until you go through it, how draining it is to literally receive thousands of comments telling you you're an awful person like I think there's like kind of the different stages of an activist attack like at first you're just like furious and want to like tell them all how they're wrong then you like become resigned to just like blocking and deleting and then you're like oh my gosh maybe I am crazy like maybe I'm the crazy person and then finally I think you hit like resolve where you're just like nope they're crazy and I'm doing the right thing. You know, like this is why I'm on social media is because if I'm not like these people will be telling people like straight up lies about dairy farming. And so, you know, I think how I handle it now is blocking and deleting for the most part. Um, I didn't create, you know, grow my followers, create a community to have a handful of people like come on and just, you know, share malicious things. Um, and so that's kind of my attitude is like, this is my page. If you have a question, I'm always happy to answer. But if you came on just to attack, absolutely not. Like, I'm not going to put up with it. And I think that like just making that decision up front is kind of a good thing because then you don't like torment yourself over what to do because right. when you start deleting, they tell you, they're like, you're blocking and deleting everything. You're, you're controlling the conversation. And it's like, yep. You're right. I am blocking and deleting because you came to spread hate. Like, I don't know what else. Yeah, 100 percent. And I've always, you know, kind of had that policy, too, that, you know, if you want to come on and have a discussion, if you want to talk about things in a civil manner, then absolutely. Let's have that talk. But if you're just going to come on to throw the mud and, you know, kind of see what sticks, then there's no place for that because there's so many other people that want to come and put things that are positive in and even people that may oppose you but want to you know have a have a real contribution to the conversation and to me there's just not a bigger waste of time than arguing with somebody you don't know about things they don't understand well and i hate when they start being disrespectful to your followers and to your community and they start mm-hmm. leaving you know they reply to people's comments with hateful things i i really that bothers me because come on and attack me. That's fine. But if someone has left me a question or a comment, whatever, like do not attack them on my page like that, that for some reason just has always rubbed me terribly bad that I'm just like, Nope, you're blocked and delete block and deleting you. And sometimes when you're under attack, you will get genuine questions. But sometimes at that point, when you are getting hundreds, if not thousands, it's you block and delete anyone that even looks suspicious just because you never know where it's going to go. Like, yeah, sure. You know, you'll, I'll have people send me screenshots of like 
thing, my pages being shared on vegan pages and different things. And so you just never know when that person, like when one of those comments is actually going to be a crazy. And so I feel like when I come under attack, I'm pretty like, I I'm hesitant to really engage with too many people, but on a day to day basis, it's, it really isn't that bad. And I think most people genuinely have questions and just aren't sure who to ask or where to turn. And that's why we're all trying to be online is to share with them. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I agree. And there's so many, the good, the good parts so outweigh the bad. And it's, and I think it's a good thing. It's, you know, it's essentially you kind of, um, own that content and you can, and it's, it's yours to control. I feel like, so I don't think anyone should ever feel bad or feel guilty for, you know, blocking and controlling the conversation. I'm glad you said that because it's totally okay. And it's to- because uh, it can make your play, you can make yourself go to some, uh, you know, really dark places and start to believe some things that aren't true about yourself because they're telling you that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's totally okay. And if it doesn't, you know, c- contribute positively to the conversation, it has, it has no place. Absolutely. I agree. So, and I, I want to talk to you about this because I, I, when I started this podcast, one of the things that has happened and it happened early on and it continues to happen is talking to so many people involved in the dairy industry and the, the kind of mental health crisis that is, is occurring. I've talked to so many people. I've talked to Randy Roker. He was my first dairyman on the show. Um, I've talked to your friend, Jessica Peters, um, who was, is a wonderful resource and a wonderful advocate, not only for dairy industry, but for mental health and agriculture in general. And so I want to kind of talk to you about what is going on in dairy and what is going on on dairy farms across the country that is so heartbreaking you're hearing so many dairies closing and it's it's just it's terrible because there's so many family operations that have lived that way for so long and I just I want to get your perspective on that yeah and today is like a tough day to talk about that I'm like I'm going to be upfront and honest like we're obviously recording this in the middle of the coronavirus of COVID-19 and dairy prices have just crashed I mean just unbelievable And I was talking with my mom today and I said, man, we thought we had a mental health crisis among dairy farmers, farmers in this nation before this. I can't even imagine what our industry is about to go through. And it just, it, you know, it's a, I think there's so many different things that play into this to mental health of farmers and dairy farmers. One thing I feel like I've noticed is, you know, people are really proud to say they're a fifth generation farmer or that their family farm has been, that land has been owned by their family for a hundred years. And I think that we all carry that weight of the previous generations that made it, that, that pushed through that, you know, they were able to, to keep the farm. And so I think every, every time like you do something, and, and I think you can be a first generation farmer and have, you know, just as much mental health things, but I do think there's some kind of, you know, there's just that pressure to like, keep on, you know, like farmers never give up. And I I think that that has really been, um, you know, challenging then when you face like uncertain times, or you lose the farm or whatever it may be just bad markets. It's just it weighs really heavy on you. And uh, I think a lot of farmers feel like they don't have anywhere to turn. Really. Um, I know a lot of, you know, like the older the generation before me, like, 
they didn't even want to talk to their wives about things going on because they were so stressed and they, they didn't want to have to bring it home. But then by like not talking about it, it certainly doesn't help things. And so it's just, I feel like it's this complicated, just so intertwined in different heritage, family things, uh, financial things like that. It, I, it's a real crisis. And I, I, I don't think, unfortunately right now, I don't think we're going to be I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, which I hate to say that. I like know. I hate to be negative. I just really worry about our dairy farmers right now. Like, and our farmers in general, I know beef farmers are going, beef ranchers are going through something very similar with their prices. And I just hope people reach out and get the help they need. I, I think maybe with this, people will feel not alone. That's probably my biggest hope is that mm -hmm. a lot of farmers mm -hmm. are feeling anxious and stressed and overwhelmed. And so like, you're not alone. Um, and so it's okay to say that it's okay to get help. It's okay to talk to a friend. It's okay to reach out to someone, reach out to a hotline. Um, but it is, I, I don't know. I don't know that I have words for how I'm feeling right now about the, the future of the mental health of our dairy farmers and the industry as a whole. No, I, I totally agree. And thank you for, for all of that, because coming from somebody like you, who's so involved is, you know, it's kind of. I, I don't know if refreshing is the, t the right word, but it's, it's calming to know that you feel this anxiety too. And you said something that um, said something there and that, that it, I have tried to say myself. And I think we, str we struggle so much better and healthier together than we do separate. And the one, I guess maybe bright spot. I, I can't say it's a bright spot, but maybe a, a silver lining is that we are able to, to, we struggle so much better together. And when everybody's kind of facing all these things at once, you know, we maybe can come to terms with it a little bit easier on ourselves. Whereas, you know, when everything seems to be going really well for some, for everybody on the surface and you're kind of seeing everything going really great sky high for them, but you have something that's really kind of got you down deep, really, really low. Um, you feel much more isolated than that. So to, you know, kind of summarize what I'm saying in, in so many words is it's, it's so much better and so much easier to struggle when everyone's struggling. No, that's a really good point. You know, when you feel like everyone's doing a great job and everyone's thriving and you're like the odd man out, then it, it, I think it's that much worse. Whereas being able to like talk to someone and say, yep, yeah, like we're going through the same stuff. Uh, I'm feeling the same way. Like I do think there is like a comfort in that, of that not feeling alone, you know, that you feeling like you have someone um, who, who understands like what you're going through. And I think right now with this pandemic and with this crisis, I think one of the positive things of this too, is it has put farmers at the forefront of people's minds. Like mm -hmm. for the first time, I think in my entire life, I've ever walked into a grocery store and seen empty shelves. I, I've never seen that. Before. Right. Yeah. And so it makes you stop, even me, it makes me stop and think, well, where did that food come from? How was it getting here? Why did yeah. it get backed up getting here? You know, like the distribution side of it. Um, and so it, it's making everyone stop a little. And I hope that maybe, and I know there's a lot more people that are at the forefront of this pandemic than farmers, like with the healthcare workers. But mm -hmm. I hope that if anything positive comes out of it for farmers, it's that we do have the ear of, you know, our legislators right now and our representatives and, and getting us, you know, some financial assistance um, or getting things changed for the better and some of our marketing and our pricing that we've all been fighting for for years. Like 
maybe this will be like a turning point while we have, you know, just while we have some people behind us supporting us saying, thank you farmers, you know, that's been all over the internet. Thank you farmers for, thank you truck drivers, thank you railroad for still getting things, getting our food where it needs to go. And so I, I, that's my hope, I think, out of all of this is that we'll come together better and it will come out of it like better together. So we've been living in such a, I feel like polarized society, especially here in America for um, a good a good while. Um, it, it's really kind of boiled over, I think, in the last couple of years. But I was talking with a group of friends of mine, and we were talking, it's it, we're, it, it's going to take something like 9-11, when things were very tense back then, but then something awful happened to us all, and we all felt it on the same level, and it kind of brought this country together. And I mean, I, I felt like it was going to be like have to be some kind of black swan event. And I mean, this is a perfect example of that. And I am I'm much like you. I'm very hopeful that it is going to start to allow people to not take things for granted and to focus on the things that really matter and not take a um, grocery store full of milk and bread and meat for granted ever again because you realized what it's like when those shelves are empty and how scary that can be and I I really truly hope that this is a teaching point for the rest of this generation's life because I know it will be for our kids and like you say it's it's so peculiar even us you and I involved in agriculture we had to stop and I I I felt the same way as you like where did this you know, where did this come from? Where did this, where was there a, a, a block in the supply chain? Um, and where, you know, <laughs> there's so many hands and so many lives depending on every part of that supply chain. And it's, it's really, I really think that, like you said, it's been brought to the forefront and hopefully people can maybe appreciate it a little bit more now. And I think it's brought the value of local. And when I say local, I mean United States farmers, not local to your county even, like not even local to your state. Like we still have so much food in our grocery stores because we have American farmers growing our food. If we were importing from China, for example, right now, we would be shutting down that supply chain. We are. There's reasons that the things that are being imported from China are being shut down because we can't get it. And so I think that I know even for me, it's made me think, well, where do we get that food from right. the mm-hmm. country? Do we get that food from? Is it going to stop? We're, are we going to stop bringing it in from that country? And so I think there has been a value placed on the American farmer in that we're still providing everybody with food. We have a strong food supply system in this country. And I think that it's that, that portion of it's gone like undervalued for several years, if not decades, that it's like, no, the American farmer can support the American people. Like that, and that is like, that's huge. That's like a big deal that I don't think people thought about until about a week ago. Yeah, no, it's you, you, you say that so eloquently and I appreciate that because American farmers do a wonderful job and it's non, none so more apparent than right now when it's really needed in that crunch time and we're able to kind of up that supply chain and um, get things kind of moving and rolling in a crisis. And even though things are not, you know, um, they're not ideal, of course, but 
people are people are still getting food, just maybe not at the abundance that they may uh, have gotten before, but they're still getting it. And, and we'll overcome some of those challenges. Like I, I think we all have to remember we're having a massive shift in how we're delivering food to people. Like we were eating out as much as we were eating at home three weeks ago. And now we've had this massive shift back to several decades ago of all eating at home. Like give, you know, our distribution system and our food supply chain people like a little bit of grace when they're, right. you know, having figure out how to rewrite trucks from restaurants to re to grocery stores, you know, like there's some logistics there that have to be worked out, but like, we're going to do it. We're going to figure out how to keep, I mean, we are keeping the shelf stock for the most part and we're there. We're going to work through some of these, you know, challenges. I would say, you know, every day, I think it's getting better for people. Um, and that's amazing too. Just that not only the resilience, but being able to change, you know, the entire system that quickly to meet unexpected demands in different places. No, you're, you're a hundred percent right. And I'm, I'm so thankful for this conversation that you've had with me tonight because it's opened my eyes and helped me to think about so many parts of, like you said, the supply chain. And so one, one question I do want to ask before we wrap up tonight is how I know like you walk into the grocery store and there's like this limit put on milk. Uh, you know, I went to, I went to the grocery store the other day and said I could only get one carton of milk. Um, how is that affecting you guys? How is that affecting the folks in the dairy industry? You know, I think that's really hard for dairy farmers to see. I know it's hard for me to see because I know we're not producing any less milk. Like our cows are not off, but it's a distribution issue that you had food that was, you know, designed to go to restaurants and now people want fluid milk. Like we have had, I mean, we have had a decline in fluid milk consumption year after year for decades because people are just getting their dairy products in different ways. Consumption overall of dairy products is up. They just haven't always been buying the traditional gallon. Well, now all of a sudden they're buying the traditional gallon again. And mm -hmm. so it's really hard as farmer, dairy farmers to see that when you know that we're, our prices are plummeting and the supply management is we're having, you know, major issues there. But at the same time, I think now that we're like two, two and a half weeks into this, I noticed like I didn't have a limit at my grocery store anymore. And um, I know some people, I know a lot of dairy farmers, if they're still seeing it in grocery stores, they're calling, you know, their co-ops and um, their ch local state and regional checkoffs and saying, Hey, this grocery store is still doing that. And then, you know, there's conversations being had with chains and different grocery stores saying, okay, like we've kind of sorted out some of the supply management and so hopefully those bans will like be lifted and um i know the only thing i got limited on when i went to the grocery store uh yesterday i did my family's big run for the next two weeks uh was water was what i was limited on and yeah. um milk had kind of sorted itself out and so it made me hopeful that we would keep sorting some of these issues out but i it is very you know it's just disheartening to know that um prices are terrible and people are buying more milk than ever before on the shelf, but it, it's just so much more complicated than that, unfortunately. Right. right. And I apologize. I, my, my information was a little bit dated. I haven't actually went to the grocery store for our family for two weeks. Like it was one of those things. <laughs> I mean, my wife goes, but I, I don't go like, I just, I mean, that's that kind of is just, I, I leave that to her and our family's healthier because of it. <laughs> so 
Absolutely. That's uh, one person go to the grocery store. Everyone else stay home. That's the best way to do it, especially yeah. right now. And, I, and honestly, the, so the last time that I had gone to the grocery store, I was limited on milk. And we go through, I'm a family of four, and we go through about four gallons plus a week. And I actually got out our milk, like our giant gallon jugs and was like, well, I, I didn't buy any milk that time that I went because I was like, I can get, if I have to, I'll get raw milk. It's not a big deal. I'd rather that mm -hmm. be there for consumers to have or people that can't, you know, similar with eggs. Like I have some friends I can get eggs from and I did, so I didn't buy any eggs just in you know, I was like, someone else can get it. I know someone I can get eggs from. And, um, so that was really hard, but I, I I'm hopeful that we're working through like at least that, that people aren't limited at grocery stores. Lots of other problems still out there, but hopefully people can at least just get their basics that they want. Four gallons of milk a week? That's impressive. <laughs> and I much milk. It's my husband and my youngest daughter. They're crazy. I can't keep up with it. I can't, I can't, like, I can't, I can't believe anybody drinks more milk than my house. Like, that's more than we drink. We drink, I think, we think we, we're anywhere between two and three, and I, there's, there's, five boys, you know, including me, five males in this house and four growing boys. And, you know, so it, it, we, we drink, I feel like a lot of milk, but man, now I got to ask, and I promise this will be the last question, but as for us, as, as, as cattlemen, as you know, we raise beef cattle, obviously. So we make a very, we make it a point to eat beef, probably five out of seven dinners a week you know i mean it's important do you guys intentionally consume probably more milk than the average consumer probably maybe i i don't i always say like people that don't eat dairy products like i we would starve i eat so much cheese and yogurts and I just put it in everything and it probably is. And the same with beef, like we um, beef our own cow. And so we have a freezer full of beef, you know, 99% of the time. And um, I think I can't remember the last time I had chicken in my own house. I, years right. ago, yeah. since the last time I cooked chicken, uh, even fish. I don't, we've gotten just terrible. Oh, we I, just eat beef. Yeah. I, we're the same. We, um, we go between it's beef deer, you know, cause we, we, we harvest our own deer too. And, uh, and lamb, we eat a lot of lamb. We actually just had lamb chops for dinner tonight. So, um, yeah. And yeah. I think it's what you have available. Like I know when I was a kid, I think it was whatever cup we were a part of, like you could get as much buttered cheese and like yogurt as you could get like out of the co-ops, like mm. processing, whatever. And so, yeah, if your family, like, you know, this was way back in the day when I was a kid and you know, we were just, my parents were young dairy farmers starting out and making ends meet. And I, so I think if milk and butter and cheese were free, we were going to eat a lot of milk, butter of and course, cheese. Like, my yeah. mom jokes, like anything she could make with like cheese, like that's what we were eating. And so it probably is just that I grew up on recipes that were heavily, you know, heavily had dairy products in them, just like beef farmers. I mean, I'm sure it's the same for every rancher farmer out there. Sure. That whatever you like I know a potato farmer and every time we go camping with him, he serves French fries. Like, you know, like that's, yeah, of course, <laughs> he yeah. has a ton of potatoes. So. That's funny. Yeah, no, I, and I always try, like lately I've been trying to ask people that because I know we do. And it's like you say, and, and the, the real reason is it's so readily available to us. I mean, I can, we fatten out a calf twice a year for our family and um you know it's just so handy for us and i'm sure if we were hog farmers it would be the same way with pork you know i mean it's just like you say what what you have available 
Well, you guys are going through a lot more beef than we do. So. Oh my gosh, we do. <laughs> I mean, you go way more yeah, beef. well, I mean, like we, it's, I, 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 five out of seven is probably undershooting it on meals. <laughs> you know, Carrie will buy the only, only meat we buy at the store. Carrie will buy uh, like a pack of chicken breasts, but anything else is, is raised here. You know, we'll raise a lamb, we'll raise, uh, we, we deer hunt in the fall and, you know, obviously we raise our own beef. So uh, it's, <laughs> we, we eat a lot of red meat at our house. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. So Tara, I really appreciate you coming on here tonight. I, I really had, it's been a pleasure talking to you, but I want to give you the opportunity to tell folks um, uh, that, that are listening to this podcast, where they can find you online and how they can follow you. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on. I know we touched a lot of different subjects and some heavy subjects, but I really appreciate it. It was great. Like you said, just talking through this and getting different perspectives on everything going on right now. So thank you. And if anyone's interested in following me, I'm on Facebook and Instagram as the New Mexico Milkmaid. I'm also on Twitter, but I don't tweet a whole lot. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can follow my blog at newmexicomilkmaid.com. So pretty much New Mexico Milkmaid everywhere. Um, oh, and I just started a TikTok because we're all in quarantine and everyone's starting a TikTok. Mm -hmm. um, but I have like two videos. So Instagram's the main place you can find me. Yeah, I started TikTok too because I think it was more at the, um, like the my my son's fourteen and you know so I mean that's his deal you know that's his age they they go tick you know they're on TikTok all the time and um you know I used to see a lot more of the young kids on Instagram but now they're not like not there anymore like it's like where'd they go and then I heard about TikTok like two two months ago and like oh now I know where they all went exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so we he he had this thing set up when I got home yesterday we or Sunday I guess it was where we all did one of those dances together and we put it online and it was <laughs> it was hilarious so uh, <laughs> oh cool well Tara I really appreciate it tonight and uh it's, it was really fun getting to know you and uh hopefully we'll talk again soon in the future sounds great thank you so much you have a nice night you too thank you Next week, we continue our theme of talking about dairy farming to my friend Brittany Olson from Wisconsin. She is a dairy farmer. They have a small 45-head operation up there in Wisconsin. Uh, we talked to her about her work and mental health and kind of her journey through it. And uh, really, really great stuff. Brittany's been a really great friend. She um, has been just so nice to me and getting to know her. Um, I'm, I really am happy to call her a friend. So uh, please be sure to tune into that next week. Until then, this has been the Ag State of Mind podcast, and I'm Jason Meadows. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.